From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. So travel, we're trying to squeeze in those last couple of days. You know, my mom the other day just cold texted me and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to Alaska. <laughs> just out of the blue. I was like, sounds good. Let me know when you're back. My, her and my father decided they were going to jump on a cruise last minute. And uh, I got to think they're up there as we speak. They'll be back in a couple of days. And every once in a while, you'll find a deal that you just can't say no to. And when it comes to travel, nobody on this station better to talk to than the founder of uh, Travel Best Bets, the founder, the president, Claire Newell. Claire, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Rob. I love that your parents did that. We're so lucky here to have the uh, the ships um, embarking and disembarking point right in our back door. And there are like, you know, I see these deals all over the place. And here in Vancouver, we're considered not that we call it the dumping ground. Like it's easy for BC residents to jump on and off the ships because they're right here. You don't have to book any airfare. Mm-hmm. I see in the Caribbean you know, Florida is the dumping ground. So people get really, really good deals and and they do that. But people come from all over the world to do what your mom and dad are doing. I think it's really great that they're going to get this little getaway. Yeah. You know, what's funny is as soon as my younger brother moved out, I feel like they got 10 years younger and now they're doing all the stuff that for years they couldn't do. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. And it was just kind of like a cold call. It's like, oh, by the way, we're going to Alaska. It's not like we're going to the mall to get some milk. So, you know, good on them. And I hope they have a fantastic time. But, you know, we've got so much to get to. And one of the things, Claire, that I wanted to really educate our listeners on today is that we're starting to see some of these smaller airlines in Canada really want to compete with the bigger names and are, uh, I guess, really starting to compete for market share. Yeah, this has been very interesting to watch because pre-pandemic, we didn't hear of names like Flair, Porter, Canada Jetlines, Lynx. And it was really the big players that, that were in the game, Air Canada, WestJet, and then the the tour operators of Air Canada Vacations, WestJet Vacations, Sunwing, which is now under the WestJet umbrella, and from back east, Transat. And what we've been seeing is in the domestic market, some of these low-cost carriers that are coming to the forefront, we're really trying to carve out their market share for uh, for domestic flights and and really inexpensive rates to get across the country, which is an anomaly, unlike everywhere else that you've been able to go. But now that they're trying to do is they're carving out market share for some of the hot spots. Unfortunately, is not as great news for us here in the West, but we're starting to see it out east and it will eventually come out west. But from Toronto, we're seeing Porter. They've just added... Um, like for their uh, fall and winter schedule, they're adding nonstop flights to five Florida destinations like Orlando, Tampa, uh, Fort Myers. Like it's just uh, unbelievable what they're adding. Lynx Air is adding some hot spots for fall from both Toronto and Montreal. And Canada Jetlines doing the same. So they're adding sun destinations. Um, most of them are doing places in, in Florida. Uh, a couple are doing them in into Vegas, L.A., but also Mexico. So Cancun would be some of the first Mexican destinations and Montego Bay, Jamaica, first in the Caribbean. So this is good news, especially if you live out east or you're willing to fly via Toronto and make a connection to some of these places because it's going to bring the price down. And I would guess down substantially in the fall and winter. 
well, that would be good because I know we're trying to, you know, save every nickel that we can and yet we still want to at least have a little bit of a life. So, yeah, if we want to fly through Ontario or fly through, uh, you know, a place out east, maybe we can save some bucks. Here's one that really caught my eye. And Claire, I'm so glad that we have you on the channel today to talk about this. I have always struggled with resort fees or, quote, junk fees. It just feels dirty to me. And now it seems like there's certain places that are getting called to the carpet on this. Yeah, so Hyatt is actually being sued over resort fees. So for those who don't know what I'm talking about, some some places it really started in Hawaii and in Las Vegas. They were notorious for it. Probably a decade ago, you would um, see a, a price and say it was 99 bucks. They would throw in a resort fee. And at the beginning, like 10 years ago, it might have been 10 bucks or 15 bucks, but it was annoying because it was for things that you already feel like you're, you're staying at the hotel. Of course, you're going to use the pool. Of course, you want to use the gym and towels out by the pool and stuff. And they would say that that was what it was for resort use fees, which it's always been a bit bogus to me. Um, but then it started to become kind of commonplace all over. And so you would you'd see a rate and then you sometimes in Vegas, the resort fees in some cases, yep. Rob, were like 80 bucks. Yep. So you'd spend 150. Oh, but you have an $80 resort fee. And it was always hidden. And now um, Hyatt's actually being sued over this, but they're not the first uh, major hotel chain that is, is basically being sued for falsely advertising the hotel room rates. So they basically are saying that these extra charges labeled as destination fees, you may see them as resort fees, is to inflate the hotel rates. And I, I actually, while we're on this, I'm going to go off on a tiny bit of a tangent, Rob. Totally cool. Um, it's annoying the same thing. I've been in the travel industry now for almost, well, for over 30 years, <laughs> just dating myself. <laughs> and um, I've seen taxes go from what used to be like 50 bucks, kind of acceptable, but still annoying. Now, in like places to Europe, 800. And it annoys me because what happens is this is the cost of doing business for an airline. The, like the, the fuel surcharges that they're throwing into the, the, the tax portion. And it's annoying for, um, the, the, the people who are selling travel because they have to say that this is, these are what the taxes are. And it shouldn't be that way because often, uh, like travel agencies will, not charge a fee and they'll make commission, but they don't make commission on that portion, Hmm. the tax portion. And they throw all sorts of fees into there, which just seems unfair, kind of like these resort fees or junk fees. Anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, you know, God, it's so funny because I just came back from Las Vegas and I remember when I got my bill at checkout, I was like, are you serious? Uh, Luckily, I was sharing the room with a couple of dudes and we were able to split it a couple of ways, which took a little bit of the sting, but it was a lot more than I had anticipated. Those darn hidden fees. But Claire, the other thing, and it's so funny that we're talking about this today because I was just having this conversation this week. Recently, I got one of the newer passports and there's some challenges. I did. And there's a manufacturing flaw. And I thought I was crazy. So to see this actually at the forefront of this conversation, walk me through the manufacturing flaw of these Canadian passports. Yeah, it's annoying. And there's only been about 15,000, just just over 15,000 of them that have come out since May. So you're one of the few that actually has them in the country. And the, the chip is made of different materials. So it's located in the data page, not the cover. And the cover is now thinner and it's got one layer um, that's not included that were in the old passport that you would have had. And it's causing it to curl. People are saying that it's so shameful and it's not acceptable, especially when you've been holding it for for sure less than two and a half or three months because you would have just been issued it. Um, 
compared to your, if you still hang on to your passports like I do, you'll notice that it will probably hold up better, the old one, than the new one you have. And it's such a shame because they're not at this point planning to recall any of these new passports. They say it's from heat and humidity. I would recommend, uh, Rob, that you actually put it in a Ziploc bag and put it between books or something just to try and get it flat. But they curl up, not like You'll have to do a Google search if you guys are interested. Anyone listening is interested to, to hear what we're talking about. But they curl up on the on the, and kind of flail. It's I don't know is that how you would yeah, describe it. It's Rob? exactly that. And the other thing, Claire, that has caught me by surprise is how quickly my pictures faded. Like I've only had it for a couple of months, and all of a sudden I'm like, wow! All you can see is my eyes and my nostrils. It's a really yeah. bizarre passport. I, I'm so confused by it. I I thought this was supposed to be an upgraded, better passport, but if anything, I feel like it's a step back. Well, I agree with you. I don't think it's acceptable for an official document. And I think what's going to happen is that there are going to be, if it deteriorates fast, it will not be accepted by certain border officials and you'll have to get a new one anyway. So I think that they should solve this. Um, but they're, they're saying that, you know what, it's functional, it's durable enough, and we're not recalling. But it's only been a couple of months, so yeah. we'll have to see how this story unfolds. I know, and I got the 10-year one, so good luck with that. But um, right? okay, anyhow, okay, Claire, before I let you go, and I thank you for all these different points. I love these conversations, but I talked about my parents uh, jumping on a real quick deal to Alaska. What are some of the deals out there that you've got circled? Okay, well, a lot of people are looking to book their fall and winter getaways. And so I have some fall ones to some hot spots because that's really what people want. There are two dates for the Riviera Maya. So this would be the area where you fly nonstop to Cancun and you go a little bit south. October the 30th. Now that's on sale simply because it's over Halloween. Lots of parents don't want to be away with their kids. The other date is December 4th. For some people, it's just a little too close to the holidays. But airfare and, and seven nights in a four-star beachfront all-inclusive resort, 969 on on both of those dates, the taxes of 613. I also have Palm Springs, California. A lot of people like that just for a shorter getaway. And November the 19th through until December the 11th, airfare, four nights hotel, your airport transfers. And I put this in especially because this particular <laughs> package includes the resort fees. Nice. For uh, 499, the taxes of 290. Those are both great. You know, and, and you know what? If you're willing to tuck yourself away on a date like December the 4th, the Riviera Maya would be a great getaway, especially with a four-star as well. Claire, Claire, thank you for this. I, I may be calling you for that uh, Riviera Maya one. I think that would be a great <laughs> getaway. And I, I know I owe my wife a, a trip away before the end of the year, so that might be one. But thank you for all the information. It's such a pleasure to talk with you every time we get together. Thanks for having me, Rob. Have a great week. You as thought this story was great. I wanted to make sure that we could get it to you. There is a remote Canadian island that is breaking ground on a new way to buffer the negative effects of short-term vacation rentals. And you know what? I, I didn't know much about Cortez Island until uh, you know a couple of days ago. You catch the ferry from Campbell River. Then you got to catch another ferry, but eventually you find your way to Cortez Island. Beautiful place to spend a vacation. It looks absolutely fantastic. But, you know, there's got to be a way to help affordable housing and they found a very unique way to do that i'm joined by mark vonish the area strathcona regional director uh mark good afternoon thank you for making time for me hi rob thanks for having me well, housing. yeah let's get into this because you know what whenever i hear tax all of a sudden i say oh boy it's another way to to hurt somebody but it seems as if you've got a tax in place that is actually helping your island can you describe it to our listeners yeah i think a lot of people hear the word tax and they're like oh no not more taxes um, and I think this one is, it's 
it's it's it's a pretty good one because it it uh, all the no one pays it on Cortez Island. So we have a population of 1,200 people here that basically doubles in the summer when tourists come visit. And uh, we have a lot of Airbnbs and short-term rentals, which is an important part of our economy. And we've just implemented through the provincial government's MRDT tax, um, a 3% tax on short-term rentals. So when tourists come, they book their, their rental through an online platform and they pay an extra you know, 5 or $6 a night. And that money goes to the provincial government that passes it directly over to our Cortez Housing Society for to develop um, rental housing here. And what I like is the fact that, you know, you're starting small. You guys are working on a 24-unit Rainbow Ridge, which is affordable rentals, which to me speaks to the fact that you guys are getting it right and giving things back to your own community. I think, it is, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's not the first time that 100% of a tax goes directly back into your specific community? Yeah, this was a tax that was initially set up for communities to collect tax through tourism to pay for tourism advertising. So that's what it's been traditionally used for. And Cortez Island is the first community to um, have the provincial government amend their legislation so that the tax can be used 100% for housing. So it's, it's pretty exciting for us, and I've, I've had a lot of interest in, in this since uh, we first got it implemented. Well, you beat me to it. I was just going to ask you, how many mayors and how many people from different communities have approached you saying, how did you get to this and how can we do it? Yeah, well, it's, it's a pretty simple process. It's called MRDT, and you can Google it. Uh, and it's an application form that, in our case, came from the Cortez Housing Society. And in order to get to get it passed, we had to have the local hotels sign on in support of it. And we had to have it approved by the regional district, of which I'm the Cortez representative. So my very first uh, regional director meeting where everybody gets inaugurated and swears in, um, and it's kind of like not a lot of official business in that meeting. I was like, let's get something done in our first meeting. Um, I want to I want to get this I want to get this approved. And uh, they, I got unanimous support from uh, my fellow board of directors, and uh, we got it passed. And then July 1st um, is when it finally got in- implemented. When it comes to the balance, because I, I'd like to think that, you know, there are certain islands out there who really depend on the tourism industry, especially seasonal tourism. Yeah. Were you scared at one point that this could go really well, but it could also backfire? Well, I've, I did have a lot of discussion with local short-term rental operators um, and there wasn't any concern that that tourists paying an extra five bucks a night is going to stop people from coming to Cortez. Uh, I think it's a pretty modest tax and then I've spoken with a lot of tourists who come here including friends that visit and they're actually quite happy to contribute to uh, to getting rental housing built in our community. There's like a lot of communities and cities and small municipalities across the province we struggle with housing, and this is sort of a creative way that that uh, allows us to tax a, a, a valuable resource in our community in a small way and and make a difference. So, I'm really excited for for this, and it's only part of the problem. Like, it's going to raise sort of like thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year, which isn't going to build a, a ten million dollar development, but it gives us a competitive advantage when we apply for other grants, and it gives a, the housing society some. Um, a secure source of revenue to, to get our project off, off the ground. Yeah, you know, it's kind of an outside-the-box concept, which I really like, because instead of just asking the locals to open up their coffers and, and again, give you another 2 or 3%, I think it's a fair ask of those that are coming into your region to support local business, but also support the local economy. So I think it's a it's a sharp way of doing business. And I would imagine that, you know, places like Euclid, Tofino, and some of the other places on the island got to be looking at this with some uh, pretty sharp pencils, wondering how they might be able to get in 
involved as well. Yeah, I think so too. And one of the things is is that because this tax was initially set up for tourism to create tourism advertising, a lot of these communities that you mentioned um, and other communities across the province have already got this tax in place, but they've got it set up to collect advertising for tourism. So mm. I think there are a lot of communities right now sort of rethinking and, and probably going to reapply to the tax and, and, and redirect at least some of it towards towards housing. We're, we're lucky on Cortez that we um, <clears throat> we have ac- an excess number of tourists. You know, our Airbnbs fill up very quickly, and it's a really popular place. So uh, it really works well for us. And what I like about this tax, instead of like the government imposing it and saying, you have to do this, the community applies for it. Yeah. So there's the political will in the community that wants to make it happen, which I think is a bit more palatable for people. It's very smart. I'm glad that we were able to bring this to light. And I think you hit it, I think you hit it right on the head as far as the nail and the fact that it came from the community. This is an ask of those within the community that if you're going to come to our island and you're going to take part in this, we could use a hand. And, and the, yeah. instead of the, the hammer coming down from the government, it makes a lot of sense to me. Good on you. And I hope your community continues to support this. And I hope that you're able to create some affordable housing for those within your community. And thank you for the time today, Mark. Great idea. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate the chat. Just a couple of days away before we send our kids back to school. And yes, some of them are going to high school. Some of them are going into junior high for the first time. But wherever they're going, be they kindergarten or their final year of high school, there are needs. Everything from clothes to school supplies like pens, crayons, backpacks. And as a guy that's been through it with not just one but two kids, it can be expensive. There's no doubt about it. But instead of fear-mongering, let's give you some tips on how you might be able to save a couple of bucks. Shannon Terrell, financial expert with NerdWallet, kind enough to join me this afternoon on The Jill Bennett Show. Good afternoon, Shannon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, one of the things that I love is trying to help some of our listeners save a couple of bucks. So if they've got kids and they're getting ready to go back to school and all of a sudden they find themselves at Walmart or a secondhand shop, what are some easy tips? Like, let's, before we even peel the onion, get into some basics. How can we save some money? Sure. So the first recommendation I have is to create a list. So this is going to help you cross check the supplies you already have at home before you hit the stores. So our survey actually revealed 61% of parents don't rely on a shopping list, but that list is going to help you avoid splurging, avoid the impulse buys, and ultimately it's going to help alleviate some of the decision fatigue too. And decision fatigue for sure. And you know what? It's amazing what you do, in fact, have lying around the house. Uh, I saw a report the other day. It was a report. It was a story, pardon me, of certain schools across the province that are starting to open up their own secondhand shops and where they can have some of the students who are maybe struggling or their families are on social assistance, where they can go to the school and pick up some supplies for free. Now, I know that doesn't apply to everybody, but it's kind of an outside the box way of thinking that if you can get rid of the stigma of saying, oh, I must be poor if I'm going to one of these things. It's a great way for the community to come together to help alleviate some of those fiscal pressures as well, no? That's exactly right. And, you know, a lot of parents have reported that with the increased costs, with ongoing inflation, you know, it's it's pressuring parents to look for the sales and to perhaps consider shopping secondhand this year. So, you know, there are lots of options. We can consider buying gently used items like backpacks, clothing, even refurbished electronics. And outside of community centers and community programs that might offer these, 
We can look at uh, going into thrift stores or even looking into online marketplaces. These can be great places to find those quality secondhand items, again, at a fraction of the cost. One of the things that I noticed in your survey, and I was glad to see that it wasn't a huge number, but it was said here that 14% of parents anticipate that they will in fact go into debt through credit cards, personal loans, paycheck advances to pay for these back-to-school items. I would like to think that, boy, going and getting a paycheck advance is the last thing you want to do, and and maybe helping uh, with some of these tips will alleviate the need to go and do that, because I can tell you this, credit cards aren't going to do you any favors. Yes. So, you know, my big takeaway here is while we want to avoid going into debt, for some, you know, it's just not feasible. So I would say that if you have no alternative but to take on some debt while doing the back to school shopping, you really, again, you want to consider the type of debt that you're taking on. And and you hit the nail on the head here. There is a big difference between putting something on your credit card and taking out a payday loan or a paycheck advance. So the payday loans, they tend to have really high interest rates and they're sort of designed to keep you in that cycle of debt and Mm -hmm. they can be quite predatory. So I always urge folks to consider really any and all other options before you're going to think about a payday loan. Shannon, it's one thing to go and get a backpack. I love this conversation, by the way. I feel like we're, you know, breaking some ground here and trying to help some people out here. One of the big asks of kids as they get ready for school, be it any grade, is tech. And I, my fear is that when a child asks for tech or they, you know, are told like, hey, you need to bring a computer to school because it's 2023, that we buy them something that's got maybe too much software on it or, or maybe more than they need. And sometimes when you buy that deluxe laptop that costs twelve, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400, the reality is, is you could probably get them one for seven, uh, several hundred dollars less that maybe doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but is still sufficient for school. Yes, exactly. And I think electronics are creeping their way into these back to school shopping lists more and more these days. So, you know, we touched on refurbished electronics. That's one option. But I would urge parents to just get really clear on what's actually required for going back to school. You know, can we perhaps cut costs by looking for a more generic brand or a discount brand? And again, potentially think about the refurbished options. Another thing you might want to do here is use this as an opportunity to involve your kids in the conversation. You know, set the spending limit and explain what that means. This is going to help involve them in the decision making, but it's also going to teach them the valuable lesson about money management, Hmm. about responsible spending and about respecting, you know, these these special things that we get when we do the back-to-school shopping. Yeah, you know, that's such a tricky one. I, I've had two kids, and there's a lot of head nodding, but I, I know my kids well enough to know when I'm seeing glassy eyes or when they're actually retaining the information. Uh, so uh, I want to just kind of delve into that point a little bit more because I think that's a huge component here is letting your kids understand just what a dollar truly means. But is there a technique? Is there an exercise? Is there a way that instead of just getting that proverbial head nod until they get what they want – to truly make this sink in and make them understand just the the commitment that's being made here by the parent. Definitely. Honestly, I think it really comes down to uh, deciding on a specific dollar amount that you're willing to spend. And you can almost go through a little mock exercise with your kids if you'd like and let them look online, do a little online shopping, give them a budget and see what they're able to stretch with that budget. Hmm. If they actually do a little bit of the shopping themselves, that's going to help them understand, again, the value of each one of these items and how important they are. 
My daughter went on Facebook Marketplace and sold some of her clothes and was able to buy her own laptop herself. I'll never forget it. It was one of my proudest moments. And then I thought to myself, hey, man, I bought you that for Christmas. But at the end of the day, whatever it took her to get there, and I was really proud that she got there. And I think some of the things that you brought to the forefront today are very constructive for parents that are listening today. So Shannon, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, gosh, by the day, by the week, by the month, by the year, it just seems right now that shoplifting is just so prevalent throughout uh, a lot of the parts of Vancouver, but especially down in Gastown right now, where there's a lot of businesses, small businesses for that matter, that just uh, can't keep their doors open. It's a problem right now because even with the VPD coming down and quote-unquote cracking down on shoplifting, a lot of these people that end up going before the courts don't even make it to court. A lot of the charges end up being stayed. A lot of these charges end up never seeing the light of day. And so really, there is no deterrent to the challenges that are being faced right now down in areas like Gastown, where they need some help from the VPD on and uh, from our court system. To talk about this a little bit more, Executive Director of Gastown's Business Improvement Association, Wally Wargolet. Uh, Wally, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob. Thanks for having us on. Well, I, I wanted to give a voice to this because I was talking about this in the opening segment, and I felt that I used a pretty broad-stroked br- uh, brush and didn't put a face to it. So let's talk about specifically the challenges that you are facing in Gastown. Well, yes, I mean, I, I, I will say it's, it's Gastown. It's really the downtown core. I think, as you know, Rob, uh, we have uh, a lot of our businesses being impacted negatively by shoplifting. The numbers are up um, almost three times what they were last year. Now, we understand uh, we had less folks around because of COVID, but, you know, these numbers are are not uh, sustainable. Uh, There are a lot of pressures on businesses right now when you look at uh, increased cost, um, inflation, uh, higher uh, lending costs. There's employment costs going up. So there's a lot of different factors impacting businesses. And really, there is no... um, way of uh, limiting the cost of shoplifting. There's no insurance that covers that. That's just pure money out of our our business pockets. And uh, we we have to put a a stand here and we we have to get some help. And ultimately, this will fall on the province and the court systems. You you know, you you hit the nail on the head there. We we need their help. And what we're really hoping for is when um, the parliament comes back in this fall, Bill C-48 will get passed. Uh, it's, a, it's a key factor in changing some of the uh, bail reform uh, issues that are, are limiting and kind of tying the hands of the, of the criminal justice system right now to, to hold more of these prolific offenders accountable. Do you have some of your businesses that are like, if this keeps up, we're just not going to be able to keep our doors open? hundred percent. I think that that's exactly, you know, what it is. And when, when we do see and talk to some folks who have um, decided they can't stay in business any longer, it is one of the factors that we hear. We just can't um, maintain our business and have uh, the, the cost of shoplifting, the cost of uh, vandalism. Uh, it, it just becomes too much. It's just that uh, um, that one one more thing that they that. that will force them not to be able to survive. So it's a very serious issue, no no question. You know, Wally, I was talking to a manager from London Drugs down on Granville a couple of weeks ago, and this topic actually came up. And one of the things that he mentioned was just how brazen the shoplifters have gotten. It used to be where you'd look to the left, look to the right, and you'd see a a, a crack in the light, and you'd say, okay, this is the time where I'm going to slip one thing into the bag. Now people in groups are just walking in, clear as day, taking everything off the shelf and just walking out the front door like nothing happened. Uh, I'm, I'm really surprised in the 
escalation and the brazenness of people that just really aren't scared of the system right now? You know, I can't say it any better than that, Rob. That That's the thing I will say that has taken me a bit by surprise as well is just uh, very much a nonchalant a- attitude that folks have um, walking in, taking things and walking out the door. I, I've talked to multiple um, members about that, you know, happening in, in, in their uh, places of business uh, just this past week. And it, it's We've seen this down south in the states as well, uh, and maybe even at a at a greater level. Uh, we do see then what's happening with some of the stores is they're locking up merchandise. Um, they're only letting folks in if you ring a bell. And I, I think we have to really take a, a stand from a societal perspective and go. This cannot. We can't normalize this behavior. This this really cannot stop. And, and again, we're you know we're putting pressure on the province. The province is putting pe- pressure on the feds. Uh, we met with uh, the Vancouver Police Department today, as we normally do on a regular basis, uh, really stressing these uh, issues. So uh, the businesses and the BIAs throughout this um, city are advocating, 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 and we're just not seeing this move quick enough. And, and I will say one more thing is two years ago when I took this job, uh, one of the first meetings that we had was with, uh, at that time, Attorney General uh, David Eby talking about the issues around you know prolific offenders and needing help and you know two years later we're still not there and the the system is moving way too slowly uh, to keep up with a change in uh, behavior and attitudes and we really have to shift that Uh, we we we're sounding an alarm here there's no question okay very quickly i just want to talk about uh, staffing i think this is something that we need to at least shine a little bit of light on there's a lot of businesses out there that don't allow their staff to engage with a shoplifter. And I know that that kind of makes it open season for shoplifting, but the reality is, is if you have a staff or an in-house security team, which by the way is a super big expense for a small business, but if somebody's even incurred that, um, can you maybe clarify this for me? What are the roles of in-house security and staff when it comes to actually engaging with a shoplifter where their safety could be a factor? Well, I think every um, business and every member will choose a different approach when it comes to this, Rob. Um, we have uh, the Gastown Patrol that is funded by our members. Uh, we do have uh, a hands-off policy with our, our our patrol. So you're right; there is you know some limited things that they can do. Um, but they, the one thing I will say is presence does make a difference, and we have seen them um, subvert a lot of shoplifting over the course of this year. Um, but you know you you can't afford to have someone sitting in every place at every time. It, it really is going to come down to a societal shift in how we see this. And um, holding some folks accountable, finally, I think, that is one of the things we have to look at. And, you know, the one thing I will add here, too, is that um, this isn't just jail time. There are other um, alternatives that the BIAs are also looking at and supporting. And um, I would encourage you to have my colleagues, Angela Evans from uh, Collingwood and Trisha Barnes from the East Village. Uh, there's a program that was just funded by the city um, around restorative justice, and the East Village is going to have a pilot program there, which looks at alternative means of both um, looking at the impact that these types of behaviors have on victims, and then also those who are, you know, uh, committing these crimes, uh, and, and looking for alternative ways to get this to stop and to get this out into the community so we have a change in behavior. So outside-the-box thinking is the only way we're going to get a shift here. 
I appreciate your thoughts on this, Wally, and thank you more than anything for the time this afternoon. We'll keep this conversation going. That sounds great. Thanks, Rob. You know, there's a lot of people out there right now that are struggling as they get ready for school. Uh, Again, everybody's excited to see their friends, but whether it is junior high, high school, elementary school, or dare we say even university and beyond, yeah, there are certain subjects out there that are causing some anxiety and many struggle with mathematics. I know I did every single year, but the good news is math doesn't have to be scary. UBC professor Dr. Lindsay Daniels has a couple of tips for high schoolers and beyond to help students overcome their fear of fractions and eventually succeed in the classroom. Kind enough to join me today, the assistant professor of teaching in the UBC Department of Mathematics, Dr. Daniels. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob. How are you? Well, I'm okay, but even just the the mention of math gets me a little anxious. And, uh, you know, I know that's something that I got to deal with on my own, but there's a lot of kids getting ready to go back into the classroom, and math always seems to be the one that triggers a little bit of anxiety. Why is that? Uh, So I will say math has a reputation, we'll say, for being uh, one of the more difficult subjects. Um, I will also add to that that it... um, While it is challenging, it really helps us to focus in on our critical thinking skills and helps us develop a framework for approaching and solving problems. So when we think about tackling a problem, that can often be quite a big task. And so that's sort of, I would say, a connection between math is that it's really helping us hone those skills and those are difficult skills to accomplish. One of the challenges, and I watched both my kids go through the pandemic while they were in high school, was the disconnect in being able to get that secondary help. Now, I know that we're a year or so removed from the height of the pandemic, but mm-hmm. really math is one of those connective subjects where in grade 9 it helps you in grade 10, in grade 10 it helps you in grade 11. And I feel like there's a fraction of the kids out there, no pun intended, that are still <laughs> trying to find their traction, getting back on track. And sometimes it's really hard to go back and have it make sense to you and then catch up. So is that something that mm-hmm. is... Uh, part of maybe why some kids are anxious right now? That, that can definitely be a piece of it. Um, I will say one of the uh, newer things that's happening on the internet now is there's actually a lot of resources um, online that can be quite helpful when you're sort of feeling anxious and maybe not prepared. Um, Google's a great resource. There's a lot of good YouTube videos now uh, with the pandemic that have been produced. And even checking in with the school's uh, teacher and their help centers as well can be a great resource for parents to figure out what resources are out there and what might be best to support their child as they're sort of uh, moving through the curriculum this year. Yeah, I mean, think about that, the YouTube element and the chat GPT mm-hmm. element and the other ways that are available to kids. Because I remember back in the old days, it was sacrilege to even look at my calculator because I was, you know, <laughs> cheating if I was. But um, instead of just doing long, you know, division as opposed to short division, obviously there are some additional tools out there. How can a parent get involved? Like, you know, sometimes kids come home and the last thing they want to do is put this at my parent's step. And I remember by the time my kids came home in grade 10, if I'm being completely honest, I wasn't able to help them because I didn't know the math myself because I wasn't exactly a rocket scientist in high school. So is it okay to tell your kids like, hey, go look it up on YouTube? Is that now standard practice? I think for parents, one of the first things that they should tell their child is that um, they're not an expert uh, in that particular subject. And that's 100% an okay thing to say. And so maybe this raising of Uh, I'm not sure, but maybe we can look it up together and learn together what this topic is. That can be a great way to, one, support your child in the learning, but also have them feel as though they're not alone on that learning journey. 
Um, another good, great tip for parents is to have a positive attitude towards math in their home. Um, and to normalize this help-seeking behavior. Uh, asking questions is a great way to help understand the, the sort of building blocks that math takes and builds up on. And so asking questions, um, and if parents can encourage that, um, that would be amazing. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I think parents are still kind of working around or wrapping their head around is this new grading system that is starting to peak up across different grades, especially middle high school. Uh, when it comes to instead of an A or a B or a C, they're starting to get like, yeah, he's, he's on the right track or hang in there. And, and it's just a new verbiage in, and, and I think they're trying to stimulate conversation between teachers and parents. Is math one of those things where perhaps the old grading system might be more effective? Or is this one of those opportunities where it can actually help a kid by not seeing that particular exact number as to whether they're succeeding or struggling? Mm-hmm. I think that's really uh, an interesting question. Um, I would say it will depend individually on that particular student, what they find the most helpful in terms of feedback for where they currently are in the classroom. Some students might not find an exact number or a letter particularly useful in determining sort of where they are. Um, And some might actually want to lean into these more sort of um, statements of, you know, you're on the right track, you're, you're, moving towards the learning goals and that kind of thing. So I think it really depends on the student. Um, I I will say any type of feedback and the more feedback we can give to students, the better um, to support their learning journey. I just remember there was a point in my math class where I just, I just quit for lack of a better phrase. And I, I know that's not something that anybody wants to admit, but I'd rather just be transparent here because the reality is, is the conveyor belt of mathematics over the course of the year doesn't necessarily stop. So at some point, if you just don't quote, get it, sometimes you just check out. And I'm just wondering if there's a tool or an exercise or a resource or a way that a kid who maybe feels like they're starting to fall behind can somehow get back on that conveyor belt and not mm-hmm. lose the whole year. Is there anything that you'd recommend? Uh, so the first thing that I would recommend is to sort of say to not give up. Um, a lot of students feel that way. Um, particularly, there's a lot of things that we ask of students throughout the academic year um, at all grade levels. So that it might feel at times that it's completely overwhelming. And, and that's okay. Um, I would say to really try to lean into asking for help in those situations, either whether it's from instructors, parents, friends of Uh, where they can get support and what resources can be helpful for them in that moment. The resources that might be helpful might differ depending on the content, what time of year it is, how that student is currently feeling. And so really checking in with the resources that are on hand and asking for help, I think, is critical when those feelings do arise. It's great insight. Dr. Daniels, I thank you for your time this afternoon, and I hope a lot of parents were listening. Thank you so much, Rob. Have a great afternoon. All right. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.